0: You think world building is hard? Try doing it when your characters have minds of their own. Let's talk about how to turn some of your biggest world building challenges into your biggest wins. Hello and welcome to the Worldcraft Club podcast, the show for writers, game masters, and anyone else who wants to build immersive settings that will draw their audiences back time and time again. I'm your host, James, and today we're going to be discussing something specific. Sandbox settings in tabletop role-playing games. They present some unique challenges for world builders due to their combination of flexibility and a lot of needed robustness. So we brought in some big guns to help us. Well, hello. I'm uh, Greg. Uh, I run worldbuilding.io,
1: the website. It's a website about building worlds for tabletop role-playing games. It's D&D 5e compatible. Most normal common
0: DTRPGs should find their way there. So Greg and I met on Twitter. His username over there is worldbuilding.io, and you should definitely check him out. He posts tons of cool stuff but he posted a poll asking whether his followers preferred a railroad to a sandbox. This caught my attention. I have some strong feelings about it, and I was curious about where the question was coming from, so I asked him, and we got into a discussion, and here we are now. Now, these two terms are frequently found in TTRPGs, that's tabletop role-playing games. They reference two ways of telling a story within the game. And while this episode will be very useful for TTRPG players and game masters, Greg has a ton of great tips. I think anyone who creates worlds can benefit from understanding the interactions between creating a world that feels expansive and grounded, while also satisfying the human need to see resolution and meaning in their stories. Lastly, before we dive in, we had some audio issues with the recording, and while most of it comes through pretty clearly, we did a lot of work to clean it up you may still find it gets muddy here or there. So let's kick this thing off with Greg's definition of a sandbox and a railroad.
1: A railroad has uh, a start. So um, I, ran a, I ran a railroad uh, not uh, last year. Um, they started in a place in my world, which is called the Sky and Skylift. And they had to go to a place uh, that is called the Dead Village. It was uh, uh, 24 hours, three, uh, three sessions, of eight hours. Um, and they encounter stuff in between, uh, and it all feels rather natural, or I hope I can pull it off, but you know, and every dungeon master knows that it's, it's a bunch of sequences and they're going to play in one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Um, what is a sandbox? And, I had a village, which is called Usuki. Uh, it's uh, mixed between Las Vegas and, uh, Rome, uh, and they hit the, they had to kill the emperor and uh, I, I didn't <laughs> no. know how they how they would kill the emperor. So they came in, they had uh, a bunch of gladiatorial fights uh, 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 yeah. and they found the emperor and they killed him. Uh, um, but, but I, I had no, no idea how this was going to happen. I, he had a few weak points. His uh, um, party happy daughter was uh, was there uh, and he had this degenerate brother which uh, uh, ran around in the world. So there were cracks in his armor that I could push forward, but I would not, I didn't know which crack they would take or how they would use it to actually get to him. Um, so that is, that is, that is a sandbox. So you put them literally in a sandbox, they toy around in it and you react to what they do. That is, that is the, the difference in between when it comes to writing. If you're an author of a book, a book author, uh, they call it discovery writing and, uh, outline writing. Uh, so they, 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 they start to write and they see how the story progresses, that is a sandbox. That is the equivalent of a sandbox and an outline. He already knows how it's going to end. So he needs to fill in the blanks and he comes top down. The interesting part is that uh, the community, uh, starting, uh, DMs think that sandbox is the end. This is the way to go. It's, it's uh, more complicated. It's, uh, um, and they, they look down on railroading, uh, because it forces your players, takes away its agency and, and the ultimate challenge of a dungeon master, uh, is, uh, is actually to give them agency, to, to provide them with a world that they can toy in. Um, but you rightfully, Chateau, so, and my players told me also that yes, it's true, but don't forget that railroading is actually not that bad as it, as it turned out to be. And maybe we should
0: reappreciate it as a railroad. So this is where our disagreement on Twitter actually took shape. On the one hand, you have a railroad, this takes your players on a journey from one end of a plot to another, scene by scene. It's frequently criticized for being too restrictive, not allowing players enough choice or agency. On the other hand, you have a sandbox, a theoretically open world where players are given free reign to make their own choices and live with the consequences. Essentially, my contention was that sometimes a sandbox can be so open that it actually winds up restricting the players because they don't know how to grab onto the story that you're trying to present to them. And players, or readers, really need that story in order to find their place in that world and interact with it. What I found fascinating here as well was the way Greg likened the sandbox railroad dichotomy to this idea of discovery writers. We tend to call them pantsers because they fly by the seat of their pants and outline writers or plotters who write everything down. They know exactly where their story is going, down to some fine detail before they even put pen to paper. The truth is, though, is that you kind of want a little bit of both. That grounded reality of a setting that is thoroughly planned and well-considered while also providing flexibility for people to kind of explore that setting and experience wonder. This is doubly true in performance art, like TTRPG, where you've got your players with their own decisions. They feel like they wanna make their own choices in it and not feel like they're being led by the bit through a story. But at the same time, they also need a good story to sink their teeth into. This can be a complicated needle to thread. And I think Greg does a great job through this, kind of explaining how to have your cake and eat it too. It's, it's, it's the tricky part is you, you got the iceberg, iceberg
1: theory. And I think a, a lot of um, your listeners do too. It means that uh, the top of the iceberg that you see uh, uh, is, is like supported by an, an enormous amount of ice underwater, uh, so um uh, we have that too so imagine uh, a, a girl that works in a bar um you need to give her something that is interesting uh, uh so uh, she's the top of the iceberg uh, the scar on her cheek she has an, she's a pretty girl with a with a very nasty scar on her right cheek uh, the trick is <laughs> uh, we don't know what supports the scar on her cheek Unless one of the players notices and is interested because uh, uh, they they wander they wander away so it's it's um uh, uh, we we actually support what they are interested in uh we don't write in the hope that they are interested and that is that is challenging um and if it's, 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 it's the end of the session uh, um, and then they say um well, you shouldn't tell this to your players, eh? but it's it's a common trick. So uh, there is a mystery, and uh, you kind of know how it sits because that is what you do. Um, uh, and then one of the players has a theory which is completely wild uh, uh, and off the charts. Uh, and it's, if you have a few hours to actually think about it, you can actually change it to that being true because for two reasons. Uh, uh, they think they're right. They're 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 incredibly happy with the fact they're right. They're incredibly interested because this is the way they're gonna go with this dungeon master. Actually, um, tries to build what is interesting to your players. So if if you can figure out what is interesting to them, you actually want to give it to them, uh, and it's not necessarily what you what you thought of. And that is only possible uh, in uh, a sandbox environment because the railroads, uh, uh, for example, the travel from the lift to uh, the Cap village, it's it's a bunch of sequences and, and they'll go through the sequences. So if there's a mystery, your players come up with a solution and the solution is actually wrong, but it's an interesting, it could be an interesting story. Then uh, we, yeah. we make that, we make the solution the players come up with true and we carry on from there because they're happy that it's true, and uh, they're interested in their solution because they made the solution. Yeah. But this can only be done in sandboxes, uh, because the railroad doesn't have room uh, to do this. To go, uh, it's, it's one, two, three, four, five, six. So it will be one, two, three, four, five, six. There's no
0: way around it. I think a good way to describe what Greg is doing here is adaptive sandbox. He's using iceberg theory, so the players only see what's on top and they don't know what's underneath. In a way you could almost say it's like Schrodinger's iceberg. There's only one way to know what's underneath and that's to have a look. Until you do, the question is in doubt for your players. This gives Greg a ton of flexibility in his planning and also lets him make use of his players' good ideas about his setting because more often than not, their ideas are better than yours. I followed up asking him a little about his process your process um, and correct me if i'm wrong here is to is to sort of keep an eye on what your players are interested in and allow the setting to adapt i feel like that's very that's note heavy do you find that's very note heavy note taking heavy
1: um yes you, um well actually it's uh, um i write uh, uh so i print out my uh, my words. world when i when i play uh, with my players and then i have a blue pencil. And the blue pencil, pencil says hook. It's all on that right uh, hook. Um, and if I remember it by next month, we play once a month. We play long sessions, so like eight hours, but once a month. Uh, if I remember it uh, in when my during my prep time of the next month, it was a good enough hook to actually uh, stake. And then uh, I go along with it. Uh, it can even become the either either sandbox uh, with my new crew. So I had a, I had a new bunch of players. And I didn't know what they were gonna uh, do. So it's the beginning of this five-year campaign Actually, um i didn't know if they were going to be good or evil or or whatever so um they they start they started working for uh the mafia uh, of the time so that the and uh, so okay fair fairly fairly bad and one of the things that they had to do was uh, they had uh, to pay the uh, working girls and one of the working girls was uh, and, uh, was trying to quit the job and the guys uh, had to pay them and had to convince the girl to keep on working. Um, and they, uh, I, I thought it would be interesting because it would give me a, a level of how far they would go evil. Um, and they decided not, uh, uh they said, well, yeah, if you want to stop uh, working, it's okay. <laughs> so they skipped over my hook. Uh, but it, it became a really big hook because uh, the girl got married. Uh, the mafia uh,
0: came down on them because they said, "Hey, you, you didn't. We gave you one yeah, job. You didn't man. do your <laughs> thing. Didn't do the thing." Yeah. So, that, so they had a they, uh, had a, they had a, they had a, a little bit of good in them. <laughs> like, like,
1: <laughs> yeah, like uh, no. And then and then we it it became a big thing because uh, they had to compensate for the losses. Uh, uh, we had a um, an actual. Uh, um, Bridal feast—I put this in okay. English. Uh, uh, so they got married. They went there. They, they had to pick clothes and so on and so on. And then I had the whole—I uh, um, had the whole city guards around uh, the marriage, so that uh, uh, so that uh, the party uh, could well uh, try to escape. Um, yeah, and it, uh, it was a big ending.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out of a
1: small hook they didn't take. Uh, it's, yeah, so that is that is what you do. You you uh, that is the Sandbox uh, route. Yes i love but that yeah thanks uh, um they they loved it too uh it was uh, it was it was it came together very very nicely um mm, and yeah uh, and they were actually getting caught by city guards for a murder they didn't want to commit they had to extort they had to extort a few coins uh from the local people uh again uh, me measuring how evil they would get uh, and they accidentally killed the guy <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, happens to the best (laughs) of us, doesn't it? (laughs) Whoops. It's it's also as a as a dungeon master, it's um, it's a lot more rewarding. It's it takes uh, um, yeah, it takes guts because uh, you rely on improvisation, and you rely on your experience as a dungeon master. Um, So for beginning the end, it's it's really really scary, Um, but it's it's very rewarding. I bet. I bet. Uh, 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 It's also. we have we have uh, um nPCs uh, uh non-playing characters the pro- yes pro- yeah, yeah, yeah. um uh Antichrist. and uh, uh, we uh, um we craft them and one of the big problems is that you put a lot of mm-hmm. time and effort in it uh, uh you might even get them drawn and stuff. and, and the players well they, they recognize it as an important figure because he's the major mayor or, or whatever but they're they're not engaging really engaging with him uh, uh, there's a few tricks but you can only pull them off a few mm-hmm. times but the girl that is working in the bar for some reason that i mentioned the which has nothing yeah. to do except being like furniture and then like being a realistic bar they fall in love with her and they and they and they and they, 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 they want even to take her uh, a an adventure or one of the guys starts a relationship with her or i, I don't know what the, the the trick is um yeah yeah uh, um I'm a, I, I write software and there's there's a, um, uh, a principle um, that we try to uh, loosely couple facts. Uh, and uh, one of the things that you loosely couple is you have a message. Uh, for example, you, uh, you need the keys uh, to uh, the vault. Uh, so s- some NPC has the keys to the vault, and has, has, uh, um, but it can be the mayor because he's an important guy and, of course, he has the keys to the vault. Mm. And that is what you... Normally would expect them to sh- to find the key, but if they're so much more interested, the girl behind the bar for some reason with the okay. ugly scar, uh, um, she has the key. She has the key, and and then just figure out that her brother works there yeah. or is the night janitor. I, I, I don't care. Something yeah. that is plausible, but uh, uh, they they're with the character that's, that that they yeah. for I don't know what <laughs> reason love. But the love oh, is there, and the interest is there, and you move on. But it's it's something you gotta let go and and run with. Uh, uh, and sometimes scary. That's <laughs>
0: yeah. It's, um, and you're,
1: then you're a hundred
0: percent right.
1: It's yeah. It's and there's and there's a dash of railroad that there because uh, uh, the endpoint is the bank, and they need the key. So you can argue that the key and and, and coming to the bank is 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 the railroad. Um, only. The, the,
0: it's a really broad railroad. It's a, uh, where you can actually. Did you catch that? This is fascinating and has close parallels with writing and the idea of cultivation that Seth and I have become briefly absorbed in. You see, in this instance, you have players who are improvising characters on the fly. As they go, they're making decisions about the priorities their characters would have, what they're interested in and, and what they want to pursue. Note how Greg makes a special effort to include their preferences in his game. The world adapts and molds to essentially fit his visitants' evolving interests. This is not dissimilar from a writer who finds themselves surprised at what their characters are up to. If the world is a garden, there's a sense that we as world builders may cultivate that garden. Might cut down parts of it, might favor some parts of it, might graft, trim, cut, prune, replant but at the end of the day, we have no power to make it grow. This is what we mean by a world taking on a life of its own that's closely tied to your visitants' experience. In the end, what Greg has created is a world that meets really two chief criteria of world building. In one sense, it's a world that seems filled with stories. Wherever the players go, something meaningful is happening that they can interact with. But on the other hand, the world doesn't present this information to them too clearly. They must explore to dig deeper and find that. They've got to look underneath the iceberg to see what's going on in the rest of the story. It's easy to see how his players would get swept up in a place like that. One thing I think you you talked about a little bit as well is I'm kind of curious um, how, how you make that good soil. For your setting, you know what what are what are the tools that you use to build your setting initially that suit this sort of sandbox cultivation method? It depends on your players. Um, <laughs> that is yeah. the best answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, I got I got a, a fight happy crew. Eh? Yeah. Well, most of them are fight happy. When they came to Asuki, there's a reason why it has a it's two huge arenas and a racetrack and and. It's a bunch of things they will go and have a look at. If they if they see an arena on a map, yeah. I guarantee you 100% They're they're going to want to go fight uh, it. Yeah. They're, it's, there's no way they're going to... So I, I gave them an arena uh, and then they had bars. So I made it into uh, less Rome, more Las Vegas. So I put bars around it because they like yeah. bars and they like they like messing things up in bars and getting drunk in <laughs> and out of game. That is that is what you build. Then you need a story that weaves through this. Uh, so that was killing the Emperor uh, uh, and then the weak points in the armor I already discussed. So that there is there is more to it than just going to the arena fighting and running constitution things to see if you get poisoned by uh, the liquor. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but that, is, that is... that is and And there's... Because the longer players play... Uh, they shy away from combat, um, and they make sillier, more complex yeah. characters, and they go into political okay. games, and and they will talk to uh, the, talk to the city watch or or the commander of the city watch, and so on and so on. They they know the tricks, and it's not interesting anymore to kick, kick, to kick the the city watches uh, behind. At so yeah, that it's that is that is. You cater to your players, much as, as uh, the writers of your show will cater to their audience, and so on and so on. Um, uh, and, and we got a very small audience normally, so we got we got like minus five. So so it's uh, I cater to those five.
0: So you, you yeah. build the world in a way that caters to your to your players, and um, you want to kind of lay in like as as you're as you're manufacturing that setting, you're thinking about what. What they might want to do. How do you make it feel uh,
1: real? Is like react uh, to what they do. So uh, if they kill the city guard, there will be an investigation. If the investigation proves that they they did it, yeah, they're gonna have problems. Uh, um, It fixes two things. It fixes murder robots. They're gonna have some problems. um, And uh, yeah, if if, if, if they go around kill stuff, you got a bunch of hooks. Because a lot of the M just slay my world. Yeah. So then, then then let the big bad brothers show up and the guy is a mercenary and he came back from, uh, uh killing a bunch of heathens somewhere and he sees battle hardened and he's, he's going to come for you. And, uh, and then, and uh, once they know that it, my players literally tell this, uh, uh, they, they killed, uh, um, they killed a girl yeah. that worked at the mayor's office and they said, this is going to come back to us. <laughs> it's not a monster. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an actual crime. And they know that it, Put they kill one yeah. of my NPCs. Yeah. The world will react, um, and and it feels real because yeah. they got agency. Uh, um, if they do something, the world reacts, and that is what what they feel as mm. as as being real. Um, and it's it's a it's a very yeah. satisfying hook, and and they will engage with it because they like that it feels real. They they like the consequences. Uh, um, they like being scared. It's or or being
0: threatened. So this is a neat well to draw from. Because this is a consistent problem that players and DMs have with each other. A player makes a decision, a bad decision, believe it or not, it's very common. Then the DM doles out consequences. You murder somebody, the city guard is after you. Sometimes DMs get a little punitive with this. They feel like their players are trying to break their world by straining the rules that the DM has laid out. And I think we can all empathize with their frustration because they want their world to feel real, immersive, and lived in and hear the players jacking it up. But they forget that their players are coming there for a story, not a simulation. In real life, if I commit a crime, I go to jail. The story is more or less over, unless we pivot to a prison drama or some other different medium. What Greg does here that I love is he takes players' bad decisions and transmutes them into a story. He's seeing opportunity where other DMs see only frustration and inconvenience. This last segment here really caps off a lot of what we've been learning from Greg.
1: There's a, um, there's three things to world building. Uh, it's a concept of control. others. There's the plane. Um, on that plane, you put people, and there's a conflict in between the people you put on the plane. Um, uh, and that is, and I, I did everything wrong in the 20 years that I'm, um, yeah, I, I, I built this really, really pretty world with dwarves and, and snow, Yeah, and everybody was kind and honorable, and, and, and it was boring because there wasn't enough conflict. There
0: was, there was no conflict. Yeah. <laughs> There's just a ton to work with here. It seems that Greg, in his experience as a GM, has gotten great at creating adaptive settings that suit the desires of his players. He has a few key ideas that I think we can take away from this, though. 1. Know your audience. Greg's familiarity with his audience helped him to know what artifacts to place in his setting that would draw his visitants in. He uses the example of an arena. If you have players who you know are going to be excited about fighting, put an item in the setting that will draw some fun out of them. 2. Don't kill your darlings, adapt them. You're going to have great ideas, characters you fleshed out completely, plot hooks or points that were precious and exciting to you that you'll just have to lay aside for the sake of creating an experience for your visitants. Another way to think about it is I I'd modify that old axiom of kill your darlings with adapt your darlings. Like in the example of the mayor having the key to the vault, he might not have it, but the girl at the bar who the players are interested in might. It allows you to retain your plot point while funneling your setting through the interests of your visitants. 3. Remember that your world is founded in its conflicts. Every conflict that exists in your setting provides an opportunity to engross your audience. In this instance, the audience are creating some of those conflicts, but having the humility to reframe those challenges as a chance to make your world even deeper will yield serious dividends. So that about does it for our key takeaways. Definitely go and find Greg on Twitter or on a site, worldbuilding.io. There'll be a link for that in the show notes to find more of his sweet insights and products. If you find yourself with some time, please give us a glowing review on your favorite podcasting app. Or if we don't quite merit a glowing review, go ahead and drop us an email on our link tree in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, if you really want to give us a piece of your mind, why not join our Discord server? This is where a lot of the work and practice of the club takes place, and we'd love to have you participate in our little community. If you're a listener to the podcast, we already like you. So that about does it for today with the Worldcraft Club podcast. For Greg, I'm your host, James, and I'm overjoyed you listened today.
1: Uh, And he accidentally
0: killed the guy. (laughs) Naturally. Yeah. Sorry. Happens to the best (laughs) of us, doesn't it? (laughs) Whoops.